0: Tonight's message is a tale of two brothers. Um, we'll label this part one. I'll have to pick up again on Sunday morning. My intention was to go to about verse 16. But as I begin to study and put things together, I got to verse 8 had about 10 pages of notes. I was like, I better stop. There's no way I'll get to verse 16. As I begin to study and put things together, together. But in Genesis 3, as we've already worked our way through that chapter, we have seen the root of sin, but as we begin to study chapter 4, we're going to see the fruit of sin. Chapter 4 reveals just how much damage sin really caused. We've done talked about the curse and the consequences of sin, but we see in chapter 4 just how much damage sin really caused. because we see really the dysfunction of the family, the first family who ever walked on this earth when you begin to study Cain and Abel and just how much damage sin can cause in a family. In the passage that we begin to look at tonight, we see some first: The first birth, the first brothers, the first shepherd, the first farmer, the first offerings, the first worship service, the first murder, and the first cover-up. Also, as we begin our study tonight, I want you to note the progress of sin. In Genesis 3, the serpent has to talk Eve into sin, but here in Genesis 4, God can't talk Cain out of sin. What started as deception moves into deliberate sin and now leads to premeditated murder. Also, we have to consider this, Cain and Abel appear the same on the outside. If you read the first several verses, you simply can't tell who the killer will be and who will be the victim. Cain and Abel shared the same parents, the same spiritual background, the same home life, and no doubt both heard the same stories from Adam and Eve about life in paradise and about their expulsion because of sin. Yet as often happens in families today, one boy went in one direction and one boy went in another. One followed God and one followed his own desires and one man murdered his brothers. Isn't that the story today? That you can have kids raised in the same home by the same parents, go to the same church, and yet one can follow God and one can go astray. And so tonight we're just going to kind of walk through this text verse by verse, look at phrase by phrase, and pull out as many truths and lessons as we can and talk about these two brothers and talk about this first family And see what God has to teach us tonight. So look at Genesis chapter 4 and there at verse number 1. It says, now Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. You notice there the first phrase, it says, Adam knew his wife Eve. This is the first specific mention of sex in the Bible. The term new is a polite way of saying they had sexual relations, which is somehow is how some other translations read. However, this doesn't mean that Adam and Eve had never had sex before. If you look back at Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it said, God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. God told them to be fruitful and multiply God's instruction to them was to populate the earth so it's possible that even before the fall Adam and Eve had been intimate Adam and Eve had had sexual relations before the fall however this time it resulted in the birth of Cain and there's a lesson here it is normal and natural for a husband and wife to be intimate if not there would be no children ever being born God gave us sexual desires. There's nothing wrong with having desires for somebody of the opposite sex. And yet in the church, nobody wants to talk about sexual desires. Nobody wants to talk about sexual relations. But here's the thing. When you begin to fulfill those desires outside of marriage, it's wrong. God designed for those desires to be met between a husband and a wife. Sex outside of marriage is sin. It's designed to be between a husband and a wife. And when a husband and a wife have those desires and they consummate the marriage, it is right and it is ordained by God. Let me just let you in on something. Sex is designed by God. It was his idea, but yet Satan has perverted it. The world has perverted it. And if we don't teach our children and grandchildren the right way and the proper way, the world will teach them the wrong way and they'll get into trouble. Amen? Also notice it says that she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. The name Cain means gotten or acquired. It is likely Eve thought that Cain was the seed that God promised the deliverer who would come from her. Remember Genesis 3.15. Hey, I'm going to send a redeemer. I'm going to send a deliverer. I'm going to send a Messiah who's going to strike a blow to the serpent, who's going to destroy Satan. And so there is a sense in which Eve said, I have the man from the Lord. I have the redeemer. I have the Messiah. You see, as parents, we all want good things for our children. We all want them to accomplish good things. We all want them to be destined for greatness. And we see here that the first parents ever in the world, they want great expectations for Cain. But it went farther than normal parental hopes and expectations. Adam and Eve expected Cain to be the Messiah and the Deliverer that God promised. Eve thought she held the Messiah in her arms. She thought when she's rocking Cain to sleep, Hey, I've got the Savior of the world. But in reality, she's holding not the Messiah. She's holding a murderer in her arms. Parents, we should have great expectations for our children. And we should nurture them and train them in the ways of God. We should bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But hear me, there will come a time when our children will be responsible for their own decisions and their actions. I'm sure that Adam and Eve told Cain about God. I'm sure they raised him as best as they knew how. But when he murdered his brother Abel, he was responsible for his actions. Listen, we can teach our children about God, but they must choose to serve God for themselves. I know the Bible says, train them up in the way that they should go, and when they are with old, they will not depart from it. And we use that scripture thing: hey, if you'll teach them godly ways, they won't depart from it. And listen, that's the wrong interpretation of it. Unfortunately, I've seen people raised in church who go out and do not serve God and never come back. Unfortunately, being raised in a godly home is no guarantee that our children will serve God when they're older. Cain heard about God. Cain was raised in a godly home, and yet he committed murder against his brother. Listen. It helps to be raised in a godly home. It greatly increases their chances of following God to be raised in a godly home. But they're going to have to choose for themselves if they're going to follow God. Cain shows us that even though you have godly parents, a child can still go bad. Amen? Amen? Let's move on to verse 2. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. The name Abel, it means breath or vanity, temporary, meaningless, or vapor. Why would Eve name her second son Abel, a name that meant empty or meaningless? One suggestion is that Eve might have been disappointed in knowing that Cain wasn't the promised son of Genesis 3.15. But how would she know that Cain wasn't the deliverer? Possibly because she was giving birth to another son and still having pain in childbirth. Think about that. She had Cain, and yet now she's still having another son, still having pain, and God's not letting her back in the Garden of Eden. And so now she feels like life is empty, life is meaningless, life is vanity. I want you to also notice that by naming the child Abel, Eve was saying that human existence is sometimes vanity upon vanity. That life is sometimes empty and meaningless and it's always temporary as brief as breath itself. Isn't life sometimes like that? That sometimes it just seems fleeting and temporary and meaningless? That it's just the humdrum day in, day out and never accomplishing Anything? One more thing. Abel's name is an indication of his tragically short life. It means temporary. It means brief. And think about this. Eve basically prophesied his death whether she realized it or not. She makes a big deal about Cain. I've gotten a man from the Lord. But then Abel comes along and all she says... Abel, nothingness, vanity, temporary. Listen to me, parents. We've got to be careful what we say to our kids and about our kids. Every time Eve called Abel, all he heard was, Come here, vanity. Come here, nothing. Come here, meaningless. That's what his name meant. So that's what he heard. Listen, we've got to speak words of life and blessing over our children. Also, when it comes to our children, we can't play favorites when it comes to our children. Apparently, Adam and Eve regarded these boys in two different ways. Cain was the strong one. Abel was the weaker one. Cain, he's the conqueror. They look at him as the redeemer. They look at him as the one... acquired and gotten by the Lord. That's what his name means. But they see Abel as the temporary one. I had fun studying this. You see, it would be very natural for them to favor Cain as the firstborn, the stronger of the two, and born, as we would say today, under a lucky star, a child of destiny, one designed perhaps to fulfill great promise. Perhaps this strong hint of favoritism found here at the beginning explains what follows in the story. Maybe Cain got so big-headed and so arrogant that he thought, hey, my brother is nothing but vanity and temporary that he won't be missed if I kill him. That my mom thinks he's nothing but vanity anyway that he won't be missed if I take his life. Already here at the very birth of these two boys, the seeds of arrogance and conceit have been planted in the heart of Cain by his unsuspecting parents, simply by the way they treat their children. Again, I've already mentioned this, but notice that Eve said of Cain, I have a male child with the Lord's help. Listen, she said, hey, God gave me this child, talking about Cain. But she doesn't say that about Abel. It almost seems that Eve was disappointed when Abel was born, doesn't it? Listen, we should be proud of all of our children because any child you have that comes into this world is a blessing from God. So we shouldn't play favorites. Let's move on. Verse 3 through 5. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Scripture indicates that Cain and Abel approached God at a specific time and at a specific place for worship. The specific time is indicated by the words in the process of time or in the course of time. The Hebrew literally means at the end of the days. But what days is it referring to? Well, the Bible doesn't say. It it could refer to the days of harvest, a special time when Adam and his sons wanted to set aside a very special day of worship and offering to God. But however, it most likely refers to the end of the week, the seventh day of rest. You have to remember, God had already blessed the seventh day. He had already sanctified it and set it apart as a day of worship. But note this, it could also refer to the first time Cain and Abel worshipped on their own apart from the parents. It may be the first time that the two sons decided, hey, we're going to approach God independent of our parents. We're going to go by ourselves and worship God alone. The specific place is indicated by the fact that both Cain and Abel brought their offering to a particular place for worship. Again, the Bible doesn't specify where that place was. But however, Adam, he had known perfect fellowship with God. And even though he was in a fallen condition, he would have had a thirst for God. He would have had a longing for God. He would have wanted to connect with God. So most likely, Adam had established a place of worship. Most likely, Adam would have had would have made an altar somewhere to go and connect and worship God and seek God as a family. So they had a place where they could connect with God and worship. And let me just say this privately and personally, you need a place where you can connect with God. You need a place where you can go and worship Him and get along with Him and seek His face. You need a place where you can go and pour out your heart to God and seek His face and let God touch you as you enter into His presence. We see in the text that Cain was a farmer. He was a tiller of the soil. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep. He was a shepherd. And we see that they both bring an offering to God. Cain brings an offering of produce. And Abel brings the firstborn of his flock as an offering. And notice that God rejects Cain and his offering. But he accepts Abel and his offering. And there's a great lesson that we can learn here. There are things that are pleasing to God and things that are not. Both men brought gifts to God. Both men offered worship to God. But only one man's worship was acceptable. You see, what we call worship may not be worship at all. And God may look at it and may not accept it. Think about it. We can come to here on Sunday mornings and we can even come here on Sunday nights and we might sing songs and lift our hands. And God might look at it and He might say, Is that what you call worship? And He may not accept it. We might think we're worshiping and God might say, You're not really worshiping. We think we are, but God says, You have even started worshiping yet. You see, some worship is acceptable And some isn't. So here's the question. Why did God accept Abel's offering but not Cain's? Well the Bible gives us a clue. Look at Hebrews 11 verse 4. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained a witness that he was righteous God testifying of his gifts through it and through it he being dead still speaks. How was Abel's offering done in faith? Many commentators speculate that maybe it was the type of offering that Abel gave. In the last chapter, we saw the first ten sacrifices. If you'll back up to Genesis 3 verse 21, it says that for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and And We talked about this Sunday, that God made a sacrifice. God killed an animal and shed blood so that he could cover Adam and Eve. And so maybe Abel saw this sacrifice and he saw the blood that was shed. And maybe he saw that the shedding of blood pleased God. And so he said, hey, God likes the shedding of blood. And so when I come and bring an offering to God, I'm going to bring a bloody sacrifice because that's what pleases God. And so by faith, he shed the blood of an animal. By faith, he gave his best. And by faith, he gave that which cost him something. The Bible says that he gave the firstborn of his flock. He didn't give the leftovers. Because if you read some translations, the Bible says that Cain gave some of his produce. Implying that Cain didn't give the first of his produce. He just gave some of it. That Cain went through the motions, but his heart wasn't in it. He had the wrong attitude about approaching God, but Cain, but Abel, excuse me, came with the best. He did it by faith. In fact, let me just say this. When Abel brought a sacrifice of blood, he would have looked like a mess bringing a sacrifice. He would have had to invest some time in bringing a sacrifice. Bringing a produce offering wouldn't have cost Cain anything so that's the possibility of why God accepted Abel's and rejected Cain's but here's the thing faith is what pleases God and apparently Abel had faith and Cain didn't because that's what Hebrews 11 and 4 said by faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice you see Cain didn't come by faith Cain came on his own the Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so Cain, Abel offered that sacrifice of blood. He knew how to approach God. It's through blood. You also notice in verse 5 that God not only rejected Cain's offering, it says that He also rejected Cain. He didn't just reject the sacrifice, He rejected the person. Now think about that. Why is that? Well, the text doesn't answer the question, but I believe Cain's attitude was wrong. I've already said this, but I believe Cain was proud. I believe Cain was arrogant. I believe Cain said, hey, I'm the man acquired by the Lord. I'm the promised son. I'm the firstborn son. And he was simply going through the motions. He thought he could approach God any way he wanted to, and God rejected him. Again, there's a right way and a wrong way to approach God. There's a worship that God accepts and there's one that God rejects. Look at John chapter 4 verse 23 and 24. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Let me just pause for a moment and say that God is looking for worshipers. He's seeking worshipers. Verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship Him, notice this word, must worship in spirit and truth. If you're going to truly worship God, you must worship in spirit and truth. Let me ask you, what kind of worship have you given God today? Has it been pleasing to Him or is it unacceptable? What kind of worship have you given to Him today? Is it pleasing or has it been a stench in His nostrils? Let's move on. Let's look at verse 5 to 7 again. Because he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, "Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, you will if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it." Cain was very angry. He's angry that his offering was rejected. Literally, he was burning with anger. It's hard to say if he's angry with God or, angry or able or maybe with both. He could, have been, he could have been angry at both of them. Now, I ain't going to ask for a show of hands, but how many has ever been angry with God? I know I have been before. But it's clear he, he's having a difficult time accepting that his brother was accepted before God and he wasn't. He's having a hard time processing and dealing with the fact that God has rejected his offering and rejected him. And God asks him, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? Notice, God confronts him in love rather than angry. And God makes it clear that Cain would be accepted if you'll do well. Hey, if you'll do right, you'll be accepted. See, God's being gracious. Cain has brought the wrong offering. Cain has done the wrong thing. But God is saying to Cain, hey, if you'll do the right thing, you'll be accepted. God is being gracious. God is giving Cain another chance. Let me ask you, aren't you glad God gives second chances? And that's what he's doing. That even though Cain is blowing it, God's still being gracious. But notice that God tells Cain that he will be accepted if he does what is right. But notice this. God doesn't say anything about feelings when he's talking to Cain. So here's what God says in effect. Cain, if you'll do what is right, you'll have a better attitude in life. If you'll do what is right, you'll be happier. Your attitude will be transformed. You see, here's what we want to do. We want to feel something before we do it. But God says... You've got to do right before you ever feel right. That's what He told him. Do right and Cain, you'll feel better. But we want to feel something first before we ever do anything. But God says you've got to do what's right first even though you don't feel like doing it. Let me give you an example. When it comes to forgiveness... Most of us don't feel like forgiving people. But it's right to forgive, isn't it? And so you've got to forgive because it is right, even though you don't feel like forgiving. But when you ever forgive, you'll feel better. Amen? Look at what else God tells you. And if you do not well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you. Remember I told you Sunday morning? Eve, your desire will be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. And I told you that she would have this desire to want to dominate her husband. She'd have this desire to want to rule over him. It's the same word here. Sin has this desire to master you. Sin has this desire to dominate you. Its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. God warned Cain about the destructive power of sin. He told Cain, hey, if you'll resist sin, you can be blessed. But if you give in to sin, you're going to be devoured and destroyed. Listen, God gave Cain a chance to do the right thing. God gave him a chance to right his wrong and try again. But Cain refused. And because Cain refused to control his sin, his sin ended up controlling him. God warned him that sin was crouching at the door like a wild beast, ready to pounce on him, but he wouldn't listen. Write this down if you're taking notes. If you don't master sin, sin will master you. If you don't control sin, sin will control you. The only way we prevent sin from ruling over us is by allowing God to master us first. Without God as our master, we will be slaves to sin. See, so you're going to have one master. And if sin is your master, it's going to call the shot. It's going to control you. But if God is your master, He will call the shots in your life. You have to master sin or sin will master you. And that's what God told Cain. Hey, it's crouching at the door. It's ready to jump on you. And if you want careful, it's going to rule you. It's going to destroy you. So I ask you tonight, who will be your master? Your master will be whoever you choose to obey. Look at Romans 6, 16 in the New Living Translation. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin which leads to death or you can choose to obey God which leads to righteous living. When it comes to temptation and sin, it comes down to an issue of your will. Who will you choose to obey? You know, Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5, I believe it is, the lust of the flesh. He talks about the Spirit and how they wage war against each other. But he says if you walk in the Spirit... You'll not give in to the lust of the flesh. It comes down to which one you're going to follow. Which one are you going to obey? Which one are you going to allow to be your master? In fact, let me say this, it also comes down to which one are you going to feed. If you never spend time in prayer, if you never spend time in the Word, if you never spend time coming to the house of God, worshiping and fellowshipping with the saints of God, I promise you the flesh will dominate your life. If you never feed the spiritual man, the, the the spirit man, it's going to grow weak, and the flesh will conquer you. Sin will rule your life. If you're going to win and overcome, you've got to choose God over and over again. Amen. Look at Genesis chapter four, verse eight. We'll get ready to wrap things up here. For long. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. The sense of this verse is that Cain planned to catch Abel by surprise, by lulling him with pleasant conversation. As a result of disregarding God's warning, Cain now commits premeditated murder. God tried to talk him out of it. And He wouldn't listen. And if we'd be honest tonight, there's been things God's tried to talk us out of doing. And we wouldn't listen. When the conviction of the Holy Ghost has dripped our heart, and we bypassed it, and went our own way. Haven't we? When we kind of came to a fork in the road, so to speak, and we, we had a choice, I feel Him. And we knew the right way and we knew the wrong way and the Spirit of God just touched our hearts and said, you don't need to go that way. This is the way you need to take. walk in it. And we bypassed it and said, I'm going to do my own thing. Cain had every opportunity to right his wrong, to get on the right path and God Himself couldn't talk him out of it. He disregarded the voice of God. He disregarded the warning God put there. And it was premeditated murder. It wasn't an accident. He talked to his brother Abel. Some translations said, hey, let's go to the field. That's what some translations, they put it in the text. Hey, let's go to the field. He planned it. And while there, he rose up and killed his brother Abel. God made a way of escape. But He ignored it. And now He becomes the first murderer in the Bible. And you know the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I believe it is around verse 13, that when temptation comes, that God is faithful. And He makes a way of escape. But here's the thing. You've got to look for the way out. Amen. You've got to look for the way out. We've got to learn how to be more like Joseph sometimes and just hit the road running. The Bible talks about flee fornication, flee immorality. We've sometimes just got to run in the opposite direction, run away from sin. Yes, sometimes it's a fight. Sometimes you've got to fight against Satan, fight against the enemy, fight against the opposing forces. But sometimes the best thing you can do instead of trying to stay and fight is to flee. Amen? Just run! Listen, when we ignore God's warnings and when we don't take the way out that God provides for us, things will spiral out of control quickly. If we aren't careful, we'll be like Samson and we'll have our hand in the lap of Delilah and we'll have our rocks cut off and we'll all of a sudden find ourselves bound and blind and destroyed. You would have thought that he would have learned after the first and second and third time of him being bound by cords and all those other things that Samson with an RNA, Delilah's trying to get you. Sin's a slippery slope. It'll take you farther than you intended to go. It'll cost you more than you intended to pay. And it'll keep you there longer than you intended to stay. You see, what started out small, anger, in his heart, turned into something big, murder, because it wasn't dealt with. It started out simply as anger in his heart. And God tried to deal with it. Hey, sin's crouching at your door. If you'll do right, you'll be accepted. Isn't you know that what God told him? And Cain said, God, I don't want to hear it. And he walked away. And his anger turned into murder. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 5, 6 says. You're boasting about this. is terrible. The, the Corinthian church had a man in the church that was sleeping with a stepmother. Stepmother instead of dealing with the sin, they're boasting about it. They're glorying about it. They're taking pride in it. Paul said, there's not this kind of sin even in the world. And he says this, don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? If you've ever done any kind of baking, all it takes is just a little yeast to spread through the whole batch of dough to make it rise. And listen to the thing. That's what sin does. Just a little sin, if it's not dealt with, it'll spread and it'll lead to greater sins. Can I tell you, anybody who's ever become alcoholic, you only started with one drink. And, and listen, oh, and, and, and there's this debate in churches today, is social drinking okay and all these kinds of things. Now let, let me just go ahead and say this, and I may get some of you upset with your feathers. The, the Bible... Listen, drinking without getting drunk is not a sin. Drunkenness is always a sin. But drinking without getting drunk is not a sin. But let me just say this. If you're a child of God, I believe you should never drink. If you're a child of God, you should never drink. It will destroy your testimony. It can ruin people who have come out of drunkenness. It can ruin this and call them to go back into it and destroy their life. You should never, I believe you should abstain from all alcohol if you're a child of God. Amen. Amen. If you don't drink, you never have to worry about getting drunk. You never have to worry about if you're going to cross the line or not. Amen? That's just how I feel about it. In fact, in the Church of God, we it's part of our practical commitments that you abstain from all of it. But anybody who's ever become alcoholic, it started with one. And it went from there. Anybody who's ever become a drug addict, it started with just marijuana It progressed from that to something else, to something more dangerous, to something harder. If, it, if a small sin in your life is not dealt with, if it's not confessed, if it's not plucked out by the root and dealt with, it will lead to something so much greater. Listen anger in your heart, bitterness in your heart if it's not dealt with it can lead to something so much greater you might say, preacher, I'd never get so mad that I would murder somebody Cain was so mad he killed his brother let me just read you what jesus said matthew 5:21 22 you have heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. What Jesus just say? We know murder's wrong, don't we? But Jesus said if you are angry with your brother without cause, you are in danger of judgment. read what First John 3.15 it's not on your paper but I'll go there in my Bible whoever hates his brother is a murderer 1 John 3.15 pretty pointed isn't it and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him Preacher, my sin's a little sin. It's not that bad. It's just a little bit of hate that I have towards them, preacher. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. How about adultery? Well, preacher, I never commit adultery, but look at what Jesus said Matthew five twenty seven, twenty eight. 28. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. Adultery's wrong, right? But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman or a man, make it apply to man or a woman, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus raised the standard, didn't he? Jesus says, if you get angry or you lust, you're just as guilty as the one who commits the act of murder or adultery. Which is why I say thank God for grace. (laughs) Because He raised the standard and we need Him. But here's the thing, why, why would Jesus say such things? Because those thoughts and feelings of anger or lust, if not dealt with, can lead to those actions. In other words, if you allow anger to fester... You may act on it. and it may not be premeditated like Cain was, but you might just get so upset one day and get around the person and get so rattled that you might just put your hands on them and shove them and it'd be an accident, but it becomes murder. Could it not? I mean, it, it, it could happen in a marriage where a husband and a wife just get so angry and so upset. that did not be premeditated, but just in a rage of anger, you put your hands on one another and just shove them. Them fall, slip, hit their head on the corner of a bed, a, a coffee table. And that's all it takes. Not premeditated, but anger caused it. That's what the Bible says, let not the sun go down on your wrath. Is this helping anybody? I'm telling you, God, when I got to preparing this part of the message, I'm telling you, God God began to work in my heart. God began to deal with me. You begin to lust after someone other than your spouse. Listen, if you don't begin to deal with it, you you may begin to act on those feelings. I'm telling you, Facebook has caused more affairs than, than anything else. People start hooking up with old high school sweethearts. Here's what Stephen Covey said in the seven habits of highly effective people. So a thought reap an action. So an action reap a habit. So a habit reap a character. So a character reap a destiny. You're allowing the wrong thoughts to fill your mind unchecked. Sooner or later, you're going to act on them. I want to ask you tonight, as we begin to wrap things up and bring it all to a close, is there something in your life that you need to confess? Is there something in your life that God has been dealing with you about that you need to stop doing? Are there thoughts that you're having that God for some time has sometimes been saying to you, hey, you need to get this under control? Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's jealousy or envy. It can be something small and you're sitting here tonight saying, hey, pastor, it's not a big deal. But God's saying you need to deal with it before it becomes a big deal. And you're saying, Pastor, I would never do that. But here's the thing. Peter said he'd never deny Jesus, but he did. I preached the message here one morning in this pulpit. Never say never. It'll never happen to me. You You don't ever know. I never cheat on my spouse. You never know. The devil has studied you long enough to know what your weakness is. He knows exactly what you like. He knows exactly what you're looking for. And in a moment of weakness, in a moment of vulnerability, he'll put the right one there. He'll destroy your life. He'll destroy your marriage. He'll destroy your home. And take everything you have away from you, if you leave it unchecked. God is putting up the warning signs now. He's trying to keep us from going down the slippery slope of sin. Sin left unchecked will destroy you. In closing, somebody once said, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And we see that in the life of Cain. The first murder began as hatred in his heart. Sin always begins in the human heart. Mark 7, 20-23, He said, referring to Jesus, what comes out of a man that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Where did Jesus say they come from? It comes from within the heart. And then listen to what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Your heart is wicked. And yet we're living in a day where people say, just follow your heart. Listen, that is stupid advice. Your heart is desperately wicked. It is vile. It is evil. You can't change your heart. You can't follow your heart. But thank God Jesus can take His crimson red and He can take a black sinner's heart and He can wash it white as snow if we'll come to Him. Hallelujah! We need Him to change our heart. We need Him to transform our heart. We need Him to give us a new heart. Could it be tonight that people don't want what we want, what we have because they've not seen enough change in us? Could it be they don't see enough Jesus in us for them to want what we have? If someone like God, if someone as great as Jesus gets on the inside of us, shouldn't he pop out from time to time and be seen by other people? Shouldn't he show up and others see him? If he's in us, shouldn't we walk like him? Amen. First John two six. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. First John three verse three and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Let me ask you, what's God doing in your life tonight? What's God doing in your heart tonight? What is God saying to you? Listen, God's done dealt with me today, yesterday, as I prepared this. What's God saying to you tonight? What little thing are you trying to keep covered up? What little thing are you trying to keep hid? God's saying it's time to bring it out into the light. Because when you bring it out into the light, it can't live anymore. When you bring it out into the light, darkness can't hold on to it anymore. Darkness darkness can't conquer it anymore. God's moving in your heart tonight. If God's convicting you of something in your life tonight, tonight is the night to confess it. And here's the thing, confession means you have to say the same thing that God says about it. If God says it's sin, you have to say it's sin. You can't call it a mistake. You can't call it a failure. You have to call it what God calls it. If God says it's sin, you have to say it's sin. And you have to admit it. But if you'll admit it, God will cover it. And God will forget it. Amen. I feel Him tonight. I've prayed for God to do great things in this place. I want you to stand with me all over this